Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Mind Podcast. Today, I have the amazing Joshua Esnard of The Cut Buddy. Uh, He is an inventor, uh, entrepreneur, the CEO of his company, and I just welcome, man. It is so cool to have you here. I cannot wait to get into your story with everybody. David, thanks for having me. Uh, I read a little bit about your story, and it's you're you're an amazing guy. So thank you for the opportunity to allow me to share my story or help any of your listeners uh, get that successful mindset up. Well, you know we have uh, uh, our following, our listeners, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people, and they're extremely intrigued with the journey that people went on. Um, the, the ups and downs, the goods, the bads, the struggles, you know, and what it took to actually build what you've done. But would you just take a couple of minutes and tell everybody what it is that you created? Because it's absolutely amazing in my mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so it, this, this story I always say starts many moons ago, and it actually was created from struggle. So I'm from a country, a small country, developing country named St. Lucia. My parents had me pretty young. And, um, you know, my dad is old school. Like, he's the real life hack DIY guy. Like, he has to fix everything, do everything, learn every trade. Like, all the way from painting a house, fixing a bike, to being the guy who cuts your hair. So my dad was cutting my hair for many years until I was 13 years old and he only had one haircut. And I I know that many people had, especially during COVID, uh, many people's parents had to pick up the clipper for the first time and figure out how to cut their kid's hair. My dad only had one haircut and it was a buzz cut. Did your dad ever cut your hair? You ever tried to cut your hair? No, but my mother did. My mother did. It was horrible. Exactly. So any parent picking up the clipper, you're not going to get that desired haircut. So, you know, I was getting around the age of 13. I got the cool, uh, you know, uh, name brand clothes. I went to TJ Maxx and got some FUBU and stuff like that. And my shoes are cool. And, you know, I'm looking good. I'm ready to ask girls on dates and I want to be popular in like middle school about end of middle school. And, but my hair is looking crazy because my dad's only given me that buzz cut. So, I kind of said, you know, let me try and cut my own hair because he's not going to pay for a barber or he's not going to do, you know, he's not going to, he's going to be the one cutting my hair. So I started cutting my hair and I'd give myself bald spots. You know, I'd be like, as a 13 year old bald spots, I look like a cheetah. I still to this day have like a complex because I wear hats a lot because I used to mess up my hair so much. Um, But uh, I realized the hardest part about cutting your hair is not necessarily getting this to level. It's to make sure that the hairlines on your head, and I don't have hair now, hairlines on your head or your beard are perfectly a curve or a straight line. And doing that with, with just freehand is like trying to draw a masterpiece cartoon it's very hard so i realized that the best approach is to create a template 
to stop myself from going too far. Okay. And that way I can just cut any exposed hair. And, you know, I actually just cut up like detergent bottle. I'm giving away my secret, but it doesn't matter because I made my money by now. <laughs> yeah. I cut up detergent bottles and cardboard boxes, pizza boxes, and made these shapes. And I, I used them to outline my hair for 15 years. I didn't really think I had an invention or something great, you know. So you were just trying to solve this problem that you were having. And you're like, how do I solve this? And you start making these templates out of boxes and whatnot in, in order. When did, it, when did it occur to you that you had something that could be marketable or that you could turn into a business? So that's a great question. Um, you know, 15 years later, I used the tool as like before dates, before going out, before job interviews. And I actually was moving into a condo with my girlfriend um, and we try to fit a treadmill. You're going to ask, where is this going? We're trying to fit a treadmill through a door. And uh, <laughs> Jamie, my wife now, she's like, um, we can't fit this treadmill through. So we had to take the door off of the hinges because okay. the door was too narrow and the door was, you know, kind of jamming the space. So we took the door off the hinges, pushed this big treadmill that we don't even use till this day into the garage. And I was so tired because this thing was so clunky. And she said, all right, put the door back on the hinges because we had we had a landlord. We didn't want to get in trouble. And I was like, maybe I'll do it some other time. And I remember she looked at me and just pointed at me like dead in my face and said, you never finish what you start. And it's funny that that was the moment that I realized that maybe I was content. My friend Andy Enriquez, he wrote a book called Show Up for Your Life. I wasn't showing up for my life, basically. I was I was just happy with my day job, you know, every day wake up, make a little money at my job, pay off my bills, cycle, cycle, cycle. What but her saying that at the time. What was your, so what was I, worked, your day job? I worked at Broward College in, in Fort Lauderdale and I was doing professional development. So the easiest way to explain my job was I teach teachers how to teach. Okay. So everything from leadership skills to sexual harassment trainings to teaching them how to build their websites. That's what we did. So that's actually where I learned how to sharpen a lot of my swords. But back to the story is we were pushing this in. And when she said, you never finish what you start, it was more than me just putting the door back on the hinges and finishing my chore. It was that I was too lazy in life and I took it more serious and I was like, what should I pursue? And the first thing I remember to pursue was uh, this book I actually had since a teenager that has all my inventions in it. I can't open it too much because some of these are top secret, but literally the first page and the second page are that little template tool that sat by my sink trusty for 15 years that I was cutting my hair. And that's how I chose to start the cut, buddy. I went to a patent lawyer with that book. And the first page just happened to be the cut buddy. So all I know, for all I know, page three to 50 might be a bunch of great products as well. But it was just, it was just the first page. And that's how I chose to go about it. How did you feel when she said to you, you don't finish what you start? How did that make you feel? Um, so as a man, uh, and, and I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, chauvinistic, especially because yeah. it's women's uh, month. Um, as a man, it hit my 
pride because I feel growing up in the Caribbean, I feel that it's my job to take care of the family or be the leader, the one to carry the torch. So when she said you never finish what you start, it made me feel like I didn't amount to really nothing in life. Although I had a pretty good job and we were paying bills just fine, but I think she saw so much more potential. And I was so used to uh, going to my job, going to the bar, going out, waking up with a hangover, going to my job, going to the bar. And that was just life, you know? So I'm glad she'd said that because we'd never be in this position today. Did so, so it, it, it hit your pride a little bit. And at what point did you decide, Hey, this is something I need to listen to and then start to realize that this had potential as far as the direction of your life and what you could accomplish. How'd that work out? Yeah. So the timing was literally when she said that the next week I was like on a path to prove her wrong. So I went to the patent lawyer with my idea book. And from that point, when we filed uh, the patent, you know, the patent's going to take a year to actually get approved. But Obama had changed the rule for intellectual properties. Once you file the patent, you are actually credited as the inventor. And then whenever it's approved, you're just approved for the patent. So once I filed my patent and it was being approved by the USPTO office, I started trying to get funds for my business. And uh, that was tough because I went to all these pitch competitions. And I remember like pitching my heart out because I thought I had the best idea ever. And literally it'd be crickets. I would lose every pitch competition. They would choose an app like or AI, like the sexy new tech thing. And they're like, the cut buddy, but <laughs> this, this isn't going to change the world. And you know what? I think 90% of those business that pitched with me aren't even alive till yeah. today. So I wasn't able to get any funds because people thought this was weird and too simple. So I bootstrapped all my, all my money in my credit cards literally went to E. If I had made a mistake, I would have been homeless. My grandma passed away from COVID, unfortunately, exactly a month ago today. She gave me money that she couldn't even afford to give. My parents gave me a few hundred. So with this little three to five thousand dollars that I had and I had filed a patent, I had to manufacture products, design a product and design a website and launch the company. And I think that's kind of where my background with professional development and being at Broward College really helped because I learned about websites. I learned about, you know, management and finances and things. And I, and I also had a finance degree from FSU. So I bootstrapped my company. No one wanted to, no one wanted to invest in me. Uh, I literally put myself against the, the wall like uh, Ali on RoboDope and I had to punch very smart because if I messed up, I'm I'm homeless. We're literally homeless. You don't have any option, you know, and I can't go live back with my parents. I, I graduated in 2008 when the recession had had to live with my parents for five years after that. I couldn't leave their house and go back. That That just would really kill my pride. So, yeah. So did you have, so here's what I'm trying to figure out. Your, your girlfriend says this to you, that you don't, you don't finish what you start. Your pride is wounded a little bit. You're going you're gonna to kind of try to prove her wrong. Where did a bigger vision come in for your idea and, and, your, and your business? Or was this just all kind of pushing against 
the the wounded pride thing at this point? And how long did that take? So I was pushing against the pride all the way until I got rejected in pitch competitions. I manufactured a product that showed up in my garage um, and it wasn't selling fast. And when I really realized what our big vision was, was I got an email from a disabled veteran that said, I take medication and my handshake, and because of my handshake, I can never cut my hair properly. And uh, because of your product, I can put uh, a product against my face and steady my hand and cut my hair. And they said, I would like to thank you for making such a beautiful product because even people with disabilities now can have can now have nice haircuts too. And this whole time I was pushing against, I was a nobody. I wasn't showing up for my life. No one wants to invest in my company. I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove them wrong. But when I got that email, that was the point that I realized, wow, there is a mission here instead of revenge and making money. I'm actually helping people with confidence and having a good haircut and making haircuts easy. So I looked at my reviews and I'm realizing that mothers with two autistic children are, are using my product. Uh, military veterans, active uh, duty. Uh, you can't uh, over in Japan, you want to leave the base and you want to go get a cut from a Japanese bar. They're probably going to bust up your hair, you know? So, you know, <laughs> Just knowing that this was something that was actually helping people with confidence or not to get in trouble and have to do push-ups in military camp or because they have disabled children or they were disabled themselves, I really realized that I had a mission at that point. And once I had that foundation and I created my mission, that's when the foundation of the whole business started to boom and build. How did that feel at that point? Uh, I cried. Uh, till this day, I still have, well, I have my new office here, but in my house, I still have that email um, stuck on my, my wall. Um, you know, I attribute uh, a lot of my success to that email. And uh, we give back primarily to veterans with disabilities, with mental health and dexterity issues because of that email. So um, it, it made me feel whole as someone who's helping. And I think I feel better about helping people than making a lot of money. And it's funny because when you feel better about helping people, somehow the money comes in better than when you're just focusing on the money. You know, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's a fulfillment that you feel, you know, there's a, a sense of, of purpose. It's more than just this thing or an idea. You see how you're actually contributing to humanity in the in your unique way of what you're doing where where did this whole story with shark tank come into this so that's a great question too um so from that veteran um i realized that um you know a lot of things i was doing marketing wise wasn't working out i was cutting my own hair and um and doing videos on youtube and you see i'm bald hair I was going bald and I was using a hairline tool. So a lot of people were making fun of me, although we were making some sales. So what I ended up doing when I got that email from the veteran, uh, I realized that this veteran pointed out 
I should go look at my reviews on Amazon or wherever and find who my demographics are. And by using those demographics, I was able to go onto YouTube and find affiliates that match those demographics, those target markets. So I had those guys do videos of my product. They had a following anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000 followers. I gave them a coupon code for the customers. And I also said I'd pay them 10% of each sale. So they did reviews. I had four of them at first. They did a review on YouTube and my sales went from like, you know, five or two sales per day when I was ready to give up to when the veteran sent me that email and I got these affiliates, uh, sales jumped up to 20, 100, 400 sales a day until like three months after we launched, we went viral with one of those videos and we hit 12 million views. And uh, I sold like thousands of units in just a few hours. I didn't even have the units in my garage because I didn't know how to control inventory on my boo-boo Wix site. Don't ever start a business with Wix. And I hope they're not a, <laughs> not a sponsor of your show. You Shopify. <laughs> but uh, that, that viral launch made me a number one bestseller on Amazon. You know, GQ, Forbes, Black Enterprise, all these people you know, followed me and did uh, stories on us. And what that did was created buzz with Shark Tank. So I didn't actually go to like to a mall like American Idol and pitch my product. I was actually scouted by the show, but I still had to go through the same rigorous, you know, elimination process after that. But they scouted me and said, do you want to be on Shark Tank? And, you know, five months of practicing, uh, and it was like June and I flew out to Culver city and shot the show. My son was being born one week later. So I was like nervous, excited, angry for some reason, um, sad. Like my whole body had a flood wow. of emotions when I was on that show. So if you watch the show in season nine, like I, I was crying a lot during that show. It was, it was a nice episode. Now with the idea with, with Shark Tank, what were you hoping to get out of that? Did, is, is, this, is this kind of at the point where in order for your business to really move forward, you needed funding at this? Is that what it, what it was at that point? So realistically, it wasn't mainly the funding aspect. Um, it was that kid who challenged his father and created an invention uh, then got challenged by his wife and it hurt his pride uh, to a guy launching a business for the first time who had never launched a business. So you're talking about 15 years of research and development, not knowing that this is what was going to end up happening, but three months of a business starting and launching in three months and it went viral. So imagine I've launched my website, go viral in three months. The kind of uh, development that a CEO has to go through from uh, a little baby, a fetus to being a teenager, basically a viral company. I wasn't ready for that. So I was seeking a strategic partner and mentor specifically from Shark Tank. And the funding would be nice, too, because we're scaling and trying to get into retail. Um, but it's particularly I needed an air and a mind. Gotcha. And so how did that work out then? 
it was good. So, so Damon and I's relationship is more of that brotherly relationship, you know? So he looks out more like a mentor than a partner. Um, the relationship that we actually ended up doing was for a licensing deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up licensing the patent to a major corporation who would put the product in all the retail stores. And that way we can sit back and collect royalties. So I was able to collect royalties for three years, uh, started a truffle farm in North Carolina. Uh, and, you know, I had my son and uh, it kind of allowed me to do like the retirement thing. Um, and I think the only reason why I kind of got up and started saying, you know what, uh, let me get out and actually scale this company instead of renting out my intellectual property was primarily because of the, you know, the events of uh, a COVID and the events of the George Floyd murders. Uh, I mean, just the police brutality, just the whole thing about, you know, being a black owned black uh, invented company I felt like I was sitting on the sidelines and I could have been more powerful and influential by scaling my company with all these ideas that I knew were addressing to people that had all these barriers or disabilities and things like that. So that's kind of why I've gotten up recently and started scaling the company and, and branding it ourselves instead of, you know, uh, leaving it as a licensing thing. Before we started the show today, you were telling me about uh, some stuff that's going on with Walmart. What's happening there? Yeah, it's crazy. So um, Walmart, I hit up Walmart a few months ago uh, about my brand. Uh, I also hit up some other retailers that we're talking to right now um, about my brand. And they love the story. um, And they brought us on as a featured vendor. Uh, but the crazy thing about it is from the time I spoke to them, which was, uh, right after, uh, maybe around December from the time I spoke to them to the time they want the product in the store, which is this week, basically it's like three, four months. Uh, so you're talking about manufacturing, uh, electronic data interchange, which is EDI, um, uh, that's just how the retailer talks to you by transferring documents and purchase orders, um, you know, routing trucks, setting up warehouse and 3PL and logistics. So all these things that we weren't used to as just like a garage house company has now come to life and they want a nationwide ride rollout. You know I mean? We're talking about, every major Walmart in in the country. So um, that's what I've been battling with is I asked for the growth. I asked for the expansion and I got it way too fast. It seems like this company, whenever it gets into something, it's like that magical three months or four months until a viral movement or a retailer or something happens. And, and that's what's going on right now, you know? So we're super excited because our brand will actually be, on the shelves in, in a Walmart. And then, uh, you know, we're talking to some other really big retailers as well. Uh, so we're excited. It's just that now is the time when we are talking about uh, a funding round, um, you know. So we're approaching some venture capitalists and some groups uh, 
particularly with the mindset that we're a company that makes haircuts easy, primarily for people from multicultural backgrounds. And we create products and do research for products for people with disabilities, primarily dexterity issues. And the reason why half of that mission is part of our new branding is from that veteran five years ago who had the dexterity issue. So a lot of the things we create, um, this is unreleased right now, but I'm a military veteran actually designed this tool. It's a shaver. And you know, a lot of companies sell you a shaver that is, is not really thinking about the person with disabilities, right? Doing this and that, my wrist starts hurting. But this this veteran created this shaver. It's a dry shaver. You could be driving a truck and do this. But when you do this, your arm, your wrist and your arm isn't hurting, you know, and you're shaving your head and you can shave it bald. So these are the things that I feel that major brands are putting on their cover and their commercials like, hey, we're we're serving black people or, hey, we're serving Jews or, hey, we're serving people with disabilities. Come invest in our company by buying our products. But they're not designing products primarily for the issues that that demographic is facing. Sure. You know, so that is what we do. We research and design. We don't just advertise because you can go buy a clipper in the dog section uh in the primarily in the section where white people might shop and you can go to the, the black section in store unfortunately there are separation of this in stores right. uh the black right. section where the clippers are you will get the same exact clipper comb scissors and oil and guards for your clipper in the dog one in the black one and in the white one. All they're doing is just changing the face on the cover. And I can guarantee you that. You pick up any clipper in any of those sections and that's what you're getting. Now they're putting someone like me on the cover. They don't realize that I need a brush to cut my hair. I need a specific comb to cut my hair. Um, I like to do a razor edge up with my hair. I like to zero gap my trimmers. They're not making the product for me. They're just putting me on the front of the cover. And I think that's a major issue with, with products in general, you know, um, big companies have gotten away with owning the retail space and knowing that they're going to get that space every year. So let's just change the model on the front of the box and sell it to whoever, you know? And if I die tomorrow, you know what happened. (laughs) Tell me where you see your company going. Um, So where I see this company going is primarily going with those offshoots being uh, a development company. We, We strive on intellectual property. And I wouldn't get into any game unless I had the patent or trademark for 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 something um we want to design tools with specific struggles in mind and that's where we're going to go as a growth of a company they'll always specifically be for multicultural areas and people with disabilities and we want to be the leader in in that space in making haircuts easy during covid um people couldn't go to the barber, couldn't go to the salon. And they were ready to jump off of a building. They were like scared because they had to pick that trimmer up and cut their kids hair, cut their own hair. 
But what they realize is that the tools that they're getting, the tools were not proper for a beginner. Uh, and that's why you're nervous about cutting hair. And a cut buddy or any of the tools we provide in our kits make you feel more confident. They're not going to turn you into a pro, but right. they're going to take away 50% of that anxiety of, damn, I got to go cut my little son's hair. I'm about to butcher this. But if you yeah. had the tools that made you more confident, you would actually be excited about having that bonding moment with your child. And that's what we're going to do. Make haircuts easy. Well, congratulations to you and, and everything that you're doing. Um, you know, the, the name of our podcast is the Successful Mind Podcast. And we ask all of our guests, could you leave our listeners with a successful mind tip, something that was impactful to you that you think would be beneficial to them? Yeah. So there's two things. A, don't listen to your friends or family members about your idea because they're all always going to shut that door on you. And that's usually where most of you guys sit down and give up and go back to watching TV. Um, B, a castle is built with a moat and with walls for a reason. Intellectual property can set you free financially, whether you patent your item and you license it to a company who's sending you royalties and you get to just sit at home and buy a Lamborghini or Rolls Royce or open a, a, a truffle farm <laughs> or B intellectual property allows you to corner a market and get on Amazon or at Walmart and be the only one selling this product. Or if somebody copies your product, you can hire a litigation lawyer and sue them for millions of dollars. So always think about what problems you have. Everything starts with a problem statement, man, I keep messing up my hair man, I keep, uh, I can't cut my hair perfectly. Write down all your problems, literally all your complaints, all your problems can lead to you just creating a, a simple invention. Look how simple this is. I don't think I'm special. This is a ruler that has a bunch of sides on it that made millions of dollars. Everybody has a cut buddy in them, no matter who you are. So that's amazing. Well, anyway, congratulations to you. And thank you so much for being on the show. I know people would get great value from your story and everything that you're doing. And we wish you the, the best success in the world, Joshua. Thank you very much. David, I really do appreciate you having me. If we can, if we can get one person to get off their butt and finish what they start and invent something, then we've, we've done our job, right? Absolutely. Where can, where can people find out more about your, your products? Uh, thecutbuddy.com, the cut buddy on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, any of the socials, it's the cut buddy. Um, or you could go to Walmart, uh, and, uh, find it there. Amazon as well. So any, the cut buddy, the you'll cut. see it. Watch Shark Tank or watch HDTV, self-made mansions where just type it in. You'll see it. <laughs> awesome. Joshua. Thank you much for being on the show. Take care. I appreciate it, David. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.